Greetings, listeners. Jonathan Harding here for Culture Club. Uh, before I start, I'd just like to point out that there is no Mulan review today, unfortunately. I live on the edge of a coronavirus hotspot, and I really don't trust my local cinema right now. Um, so, more video games, I guess? While many of today's younger gamers probably didn't know that what The Legend of Zelda was until Breath of the Wild released in March of 2017, I'm sure at least some of them have, at the very least, heard of Ocarina of Time, the first Zelda game to make use of a 3D engine, which released all the way back in 1998. Which brings me to an interesting question. Do gamers under the age of 20 know that The Legend of Zelda existed before 2017? And are they aware that it was once a top-down experience? To these younger gamers, top-down Zelda might as well just be a myth. And that's a terrifying thought. In the years following its release, The Legend of Zelda was known for two things. A reasonably large world and real-time combat. That was it. Oh, and the fact that you needed a guide to effectively navigate the game. Seriously, I'm not lying. The game's overworld map is just a rectangle with smaller rectangles, each acting as a sector. The map would only show you which sector you're in. The dungeon maps were a little bit better, but honestly, they weren't much more helpful. Dungeons, non-player characters, and items are hidden in caves, some of which are hidden behind walls or bushes, in such a way that you couldn't find them unless you were either messing around or already knew that they were there. No jokes. This isn't like Doom 1993 where secrets are just well hidden. In The Legend of Zelda, story-relevant dungeons and non-player characters are actively obscured. That's the word. They're actively obscured from the player. I, I feel like I'm getting upset about this. I spent so long trying to finish this game. <laughs> it's not like Doom 93 in that most secrets are just hidden behind misaligned textures, which, you know, helps you find them. The Legend of Zelda's dungeons and non-player characters are hidden behind irregular walls and bushes. There's literally nothing to suggest that there might be something there. Most of the enemies are fairly uninventive in terms of overall design and gameplay, but one of the game's defining features was, as with Dungeon Master from 1974, if I recall correctly, the real-time combat. Up until that point, most role-playing games were of the same inclinations as Pokémon. Walk around until you bump into a seemingly invisible enemy, go into a combat encounter, and then go through the turn-based combat. But The Legend of Zelda is an isometric game with real-time combat, and when it comes to projectiles, you may find yourself feeling like you're playing a slow shoot-'em-up. Looking at the game today, it's difficult to see what made it so popular. Even looking at it as if I played it back when it first released, it's hard to see and pin down exactly what made The Legend of Zelda such a popular game. It certainly is fun, provided you know where to go, and it was different. But beyond that, I can't really see how the franchise stuck around. It could be because Nintendo gradually released the game on different platforms in different regions over time, thus maintaining sales for longer. Or it could just be that the game was different and well-balanced. Then, of course, there was the fact that it was one of Nintendo's few games at the time that never saw the inside of an arcade machine making it seem somewhat exclusive. It was supposed to sell the Nintendo Entertainment System. However, there is something else to consider in terms of the game's popularity. The only kind of person who would enjoy the game originally was the kind of person who was willing to spend time hunting for secrets. But when Nintendo released the game in the United States, they did something a little extra. Anyone who purchased the game and sent in their warranty card with their postal address on it would become part of the fan club members of which got a subscription to a newsletter which contained hints and clues for finishing the game, 
along with jokes and in-world lore and stories, sending out the first issue for free. As the popularity of this newsletter grew, they started to include tips from other games as well, which drew in more and more readers as time went on. Eventually, the newsletter was so popular that Nintendo of America turned it into the Nintendo Power magazine. Essentially, they had used their game to sell their magazine, and they used their magazine to sell their games. Now for the development of the game. Nothing too crazy here, interestingly enough. Japanese game developers don't seem to go through the absolute chaos that we're accustomed to hearing about from the likes of Western developers. Development on The Legend of Zelda began in 1984, with the game being developed concurrently with Super Mario Bros. Nintendo wanted to make sure that there were stark differences between the two games. The one would be strictly linear, with only one clear path, while the other, The Legend of Zelda, would be essentially a non-linear open-world experience. According to developer Shigeru Miyamoto, many players were confused about where to go when they came across the game's multi-path dungeons, which is exactly why those newsletters and magazines sold so well. But he wanted players to think for themselves, as opposed to holding their hands throughout the experience. Some versions of the game even started with a sword already in the player's inventory. But in order to encourage exploration and interaction with NPCs, the sword was removed from the player's inventory and instead placed in the possession of an NPC in a cave which is clearly visible from the moment players boot up the game. When players went into the cave and spoke to the NPC, he would give them the sword. Take this, it's not safe to go alone. Interestingly, the game's overworld musical theme was written in under a day, as composer Koji Kondo originally wanted to use an orchestral piece called Bolero by French composer Maurice Ravel, but late into the game's development cycle discovered that the piece's copyright hadn't yet expired, so he was forced to very quickly compose and record the overworld theme. The American release of The Legend of Zelda made use of a very interesting feature with the American Famicom model, or the... Nintendo Entertainment System, the controller for which had a little microphone in it. One of the game's enemies, Paul's voice, was a giant rabbit-like monster. The game's guide hinted that this monster hates loud noises, many, leading many players to believe that they should <coughs> play the in-game recorder, which then had zero effect. Eventually, someone realized that you had to speak into or blow on the controller's microphone to defeat the monster. The Legend of Zelda is a difficult game to finish, for the most part, but if you take this guide and this sword, it will be safe to go alone. Cheers guys, I hope you enjoyed.